0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Well, I want to get started this morning with a new series. Uh, if you'll throw it up, we're going to be talking about something over the next few weeks called Looking Back... To move forward, yep. Rick created me a pretty snazzy slide here. I wish I had some great Scott quotes, right? From uh, Back to the Future. Uh, how many of you guys have actually seen Back to the Future? Anybody seen it? I'm looking for younger hands. Okay, I can't believe you've seen it. That's awesome. All right, that's what I'm talking about. So in the 80s, this movie came out. Anybody know where it was filmed? Quick movie trivia. Where was most of it filmed, especially in the park where he's riding alongside the car? Anybody know? It was in Los Angeles off of Hollywood Boulevard, Griffith Park. I remember when I lived out there getting to go there. It was, you get to see the tunnel he goes under and all that. That was, that was back in the day when they actually let you still film films there and they won't allow you to do that any longer, but pretty neat. We're going to be talking about though, not going back to our future, but what does it mean? What does it mean to look back in order to move forward? And I know that this title already gives you this notion or this this idea that, well, okay, we're in transition. Maybe Michael's going to talk about you know the heritage that we have and the history that uh, Brother Burl poured into the foundations. And then you know with Pastor James coming and what he's done, and and all those are honorable and all those are worth mentioning. But it's not the direction I'm headed over the next few weeks. I think there is something different in Scripture that we see is not only a mandate, but also something that will encourage you and help you move forward when we look back with a proper perspective. And so as we, as we do go through some changes and transitions, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever told one person to do a few things and they communicated it to someone else. It's almost like playing uh, telephone in a room. You know, you, you pass that message along. Everyone communicates things a little bit different. And and as we maintain uh, the, the same vision that this church has had, I don't think there is any reason that it will ever change that we would be people that are passionate for God and compassionate for people. To me, that's what Jesus boiled things down to. And we're going to be building on that as we even look back and honor what God has done here. But But as we move forward, it's going to take on new language. Why would it take on new language? Because if I gave you that list of five things and told you to tell Susan about them, just the list, not the words to use, and then I gave them to Carrie and I gave them to, you know, to my wife and, and we communicated those, you're going to use your own vernacular. You're going to use your own language. I would expect you to. I would want you to. I don't want to feed you all my language. I just want you to communicate these points and, and convey it to your neighbor. And so what we're gonna be looking at here, if you'll throw up that next slide, is these are a few of the words that I communicate having a passion for God and compassion for people. This is the, the language that is in my heart as I pray for us as a church at Emmanuel. And I hope that you will commit with me to just pray for these three things over the next couple of weeks. As we go to Easter, we've got two weeks, believe it or not, till we're on Easter Sunday. But would you pray with me that as individuals, as families, as a congregation, that this would happen in our midst, that we would encounter God in a real way, a real God that wants to come and commune with us, and and uh, Rick helped me design this, and and so he put up there for me the the cloud by day and the fire by night, and I think about how the Lord not only fellowshiped with them in in the Israelites in the Old Testament, but also guided them with His presence. And I think it's so important as we not only come into worship, but throughout the week are encountering God in a real way. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about sometimes, sometimes you just got to let that scream out. Sometimes you just got to get some stuff out of, of, of the inside that is being bottled up and stuff. And we need to encounter him throughout the week, not wait till it's, we get here and hope that God's going to meet us and fix everything. But no, in that moment, when it's happening, let's continue to push into what God has for us in encountering him and not letting, letting the devil an inch in our, in our relationships. And so the other thing was connecting. These are, these are words that I think about when I talk, when I think about being passionate for God and encountering Him, but then also compassionate for people. When we connect, we connect with one another. We connect by serving outside of this, this building with connecting with people that are the not yets, the ones that will fill in the, the chairs that are empty today that, that need to be in the house of God, but maybe they're de-churched. They don't want to be a part of anything that used to look like what they have been hurt by. I believe God will give us opportunities through relationship because we've had an encounter with God that we will be able to connect not only with each other in this house, but with those outside of this house. And then we will begin to grow. It will be natural that as we are encountering God and connecting to one another, that we will grow and be healthy. Can't help but but grow when, when God's in the midst of it. We can't help but be challenged. Even if it's Meshach rubbing off some of the rough edges in my life, if it's iron sharpening iron, we will continue to grow together as we're meeting with the Lord, as we're growing together and connecting through His Word and through service throughout this community. I believe it. So would you, would you agree with me if you, if you do take notes or if you don't, now's a great time to start. Would you write down these three words? Encounter, connect, and grow. Encounter, connect, and grow. That's what I want us to pray over the next couple of weeks, that we would encounter, that we would connect, and that we would grow together in this house. Amen? Amen. And so this isn't a change in our vision. This is just simply the language that I will probably put to it, uh, because it's what's already in my heart. And and what I think is so important is that as a staff, Pastor James even said it this last week, is that there has been unity, unity, unity among us as a staff. There's not, doesn't mean we've all had the same ideas. doesn't mean there was uniformity, but there has been unity. And those are two different things. And we each bring something to the table. And that's what I love. That's something that we're not going to stand for in this house as we move forward, as we look back to move forward. As we shift gears now, I want to get into the, the kickstart of the next few weeks and get straight into my message. But would you join me in prayer before we do? Father, I just ask right now that you would give me the words that will not only speak to us, um, but also challenge us, change us, transform us into your image. We thank you, God, that that is what you created us to bear. We pray, Lord, that there would be complete redemption in every area of our lives as we see the gospel weave its way throughout our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that what we can't do, you have already done. We give way to your grace and we seek to enter into your rest. Be still and watch the Lord fight for you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So going back to looking back to move forward. First of all, how in the world can you look back to move forward? Where am I even going to end up? How is that physically possible? And I know it seems almost uh, the opposite of what we would naturally want to do. But let me tell you a quick story that I always wondered about. I always wondered about those car chases that were really, really awesome, like on Cops, where they're on the you know the big city freeway, and there there's the helicopter with the light. Well, then after Bible college, where I met my wife in Florida, I moved out to Los Angeles. And throw up that first picture. I lived in an old hospital. It was no longer a hospital. I wasn't hospitalized. But I lived in the old Queen of Angels hospital. This is the 101 freeway right there. That's the Hollywood freeway. I lived here. As a 19, 20-year-old, maybe into 21 almost, and I was on the third floor. Let me see. We would park up here. We'd go down. I was down here on the first, second, third floor. My room was on the other side of this building. My office was this corner on the eighth floor. This was Matthew Barnett's office on the other side. He was the one that ran that organization. So the Dream Center was a conglomerate of different organizations. On the first floor was an AIDS hospice. Over here was a a runaway uh, home for youth. There was a men's discipleship with all their workout gear and stuff that they put them through. Now, when I say men's discipleship in LA, I'm talking about guys that have come off the street and have broken all 10 commandments, like every single one of them. Go ahead and use your imagination. If you don't know them, murders on there, okay? And so after they went through that two-year process, the women had another facility. After that, they then ended up on the third floor where I was living. They've been saved two years, thank the Lord. So when we talk about... I'm walking to the shower, you know, my skivvies in my towel over my shoulder. I'm looking over at the guy that I know came out of the discipleship program, hoping I make it to the shower and he doesn't backslide, right? Because backsliding for me and you may be gossiping, but for him, it was probably something much, much worse. And so here we are at the Dream Center as a young buck, just learning from so many ministries that were housed at this campus. Some of my best friends, uh, Anasi Claire, who was at our, our wedding, she came and she ran the food ministry. Uh, I was originally supposed to just be in the kitchen when I applied, but I guess um, for whatever reason, God's favor moved me straight up to where I was the assistant to the assistant of Matthew Barnett, who oversaw and ran this whole ministry. We acquired another church while we were there called Angelus Temple. Um, they were originally Assemblies of God. So this was a really unique time when I was there because Angelus Temple was not Assemblies. but Somehow they both let them all work together. Uh, Angelus Temple was four square, still kind of same theology, but a, a, a larger movement out there. So if you get a chance to look and do some research on that, especially ladies in the house that feel a call to ministry, research how the Foursquare Movement got started with Amy Simple McPherson. She was one of the most dramatic preachers before her time. She was light years. She's the one that would do dramatic sermons on a stage before there were literally living presentations for for those types of things. It was amazing. Uh, But God used her in a powerful way to reach Hollywood to reach Hollywood in that same vein. And so while I was there though, I share all this information for really nothing except to give you the idea of what it was like and what the atmosphere was. Well, again, I'm in LA. I'm blocks from Dodger Stadium. I'm, I'm in Echo Park right off of sunset, two, two blocks off of sunset near all this. There's a lot of crime happening all over LA. And so our my area wasn't you know innocuous to this. It was happening there as well. And so what I what I would find is that I would hear the the sirens and occasionally a chopper, right? I I, I felt like I was in cops. Here we go. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? Well one day that helicopter, now mind you, I'm on the third floor, my window's on the other side, I can just barely see above the grass to see that helicopter's light circling our hospital. I'm like, oh dear Lord. Thankfully, remember those discipleship guys? They're all outside lining the property like this, okay? So they always, they don't let anybody onto our property that's not supposed to be there, including if it's a car chase. Uh And so here they were, circling the the property and go to that next slide. We end up on the other side of the building where I'm at. And this is a dead end. I wish I could capture a picture that showed you that. This was a dead end. And that's where the helicopter chase ended right outside my window. It was amazing. I watched the guy get thrown to the ground, handcuffed. I was like, yeah. I wanted to go back up to the eighth floor and get it, from the, get it from the rooftop view, but I didn't have time. I didn't want to miss it. And so I always wondered, wow, what's it like for these cops when they're in that chase to just flip it into reverse and go, well, let's fast forward. Let's fast forward. This is a long story to get you into the, the mindset of how we can still move forward while looking back. And so while Pastor James and I were going through some of the training we were a few years ago to be a chaplain with the sheriff's department, we had to go through drive training. And so we we load up and carpool out to Blunt County. They've got everything set up. They've got Crown Vic cruisers still rigged the way they should be for the cops. I mean, you you put pedal to the metal and you're flying, okay? And so they the guy told me this, who was over all the drive training, Lieutenant Gay Mullinax. He said, "Oh no, you can't flipping the cars." He said it's too tight of turns, too short of distances, it's not possible. I took that as a challenge to try it. I was like, this is great. We get to open them up wide open, try not to hit too many cones, but they didn't care. We weren't real officers, we're chaplains. We're pastors, just you know, getting our giggles on by driving these crazy cars as fast as we wanted to. So I tried, I said, all right, on this curb, man, we're going, there's a couple of chaplains in the back and an instructor next to me. I, I don't know if they're buckled or not. Most of those seats didn't have uh, seat belts anymore. And so we're flying and we're trying to get on two wheels, but can never get it any further. But then Gabe, Lieutenant Mullinax, he hops into the driver's seat. He says, let me show you guys something. Has anyone in the house ever heard of a J-turn? Has anyone in the house ever experienced being in the vehicle besides Chaplin Biddle back there, a J-turn? It's fun and terrifying at the same time. So this is what you see on cops, right? This is what you see. Full blast. Go ahead and throw up. This is what a J-turn is. You are driving at a high speed in reverse and with proper technique, I don't even know how he did it. I tried to video it and, and do it later. I couldn't. Threw my transmission out. I was actually driving Tara's car. That's why she had to get it replaced. She didn't know that. <laughs> so the J-turn, you are flooring it into reverse like this, looking back. No, no mirrors. You're not looking like this. No, if you're going in reverse, you are looking completely behind you. I'm in the back seat of this car trying to video it. It's like... What's happening? I'm scared. I didn't wear my depends. It was not a good day. And so he floors it and flips it around at just the right time. Let me show you a quick video of what this looks like in action. A J turn. So you're flooring it and he looks like he's going slow. Gabe got up to 40, 45 miles an hour. And he just flips it around. They mo- make it look like a breeze. That one, he's probably going like, it looked like 10 miles an hour. I don't even know what that counts. So that's what a J-turn would look like. Imagine going 45, <laughs> floored, looking back, and then at the right time doing the motion and putting it in drive and keep on going, not missing a mile per hour, continuing to exceed, uh, to ex- excel uh, on that gas pedal, to accelerate. Well, it was amazing, but most of you know that that won't work in everyday life. If you decide that's really my favorite way to drive on UT campus, (laughs) it will not go well for you. I'll go ahead and tell you, UTPD will not tolerate the J-turn or whatever you think you can do driving in reverse. They will not allow it. And if we decided that, you know what, in order for me to go forward, I really just want to keep looking back. Well, we get that doesn't work for our natural life. But I want to tell you that as we move through these next few weeks, that you're going to see that in the Old Testament, God even commanded, mandated that we look back with a perspective of noticing his faithfulness in our lives in order for us to move forward. Today, we're not going to get too far. I'm going to get into the book of Exodus with us together as we see one of the most noticeable times in history, God's redemptive hand. And so if you will, take uh, take time with me to turn in your Bibles or on your phones, dial it up. Exodus chapter 13. And I've heard so many sermons, even in this, in this building right here, on looking back. You know, you hear about Lot's wife and turn into a pillar of salt and all that kind of stuff because she looked back. And uh, so oftentimes we hear about looking back as if it is something that uh, is admitting defeat, is admitting weakness, is double-minded. And I want to propose to us that no, not always. You have to know the motive of the heart and the intention for looking back because at times, and again, I'm not talking about looking back with condemnation and guilt and shame. That's not the perspective I want us to look over our shoulder when we're looking back. But oftentimes I think we suffer from what I would call spiritual amnesia, where we forget the places that we have come from. The joy of my salvation I forget where God has brought me from in the midst of circumstances or crisis or trial or miscommunications and just hard, you know, just, just life. We forget where God has brought us from. And so I want us to look back with the motive and perspective of remembering his faithfulness. And let's look at how God interacted with the Israelites together. In Exodus chapter 13, I'm going to start in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. I'm going to stop right there. This is just like Pastor James. I made it like four words, and I'm going to stop and preach another message here. When we read that again, when Pharaoh, now mind you, this is not the same Pharaoh that Moses was in the house with. That Pharaoh, after Moses kind of took things into his own hands, slayed an Egyptian who was uh, mistreating an Israelite, Moses fled, and the Pharaoh he was in the house with died during that time. This is a new king, a new Pharaoh. He knows nothing about Moses. And I say that because now Pharaoh, he says he's going to let the people go. This is post-plagues. And God, though, would not lead his people on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. I don't know about you, but I do know about me that I like the shorter traveled road. I like the distance. I like that it's not going to take me as long. But sometimes in life, God knows best. Always in life, God knows best. And he knows that if we end up going this way that is shorter, we will encounter more conflict. Look at that next part of that verse. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. The Lord knows. The Lord knows what we can handle. And the Lord knows that even if it looks like the shorter distance and that's what we want, we want to get there now, we want to get there fast, that it won't be the best process for us and it will be too much fire in the trials that we won't be able to tolerate it. And so I see this and I see God's hand, even in the midst of it. Now, how many of you think that Israelites, they're like, yeah, God knows. That's why we're going this long route. No, not a single one of them, other than Moses, who had to argue with God about it, really understood that. So in the midst of it, we're like, God, are you serious? I thought this is what you called me to. You, I thought this was what your promises were for me. But why are we going this way to get there? We don't always know the journey along the way. I've gotten on the interstate a number of times just like you have. I was late for something, and I didn't know why. And then you get onto that that road, and you realize, wow, there's an accident probably right where I would have been had I been on my schedule. God knows. God knows. And oftentimes, but not always, I see that he places a hedge and even what I call a spiritual bubble around us, I especially see this with new believers. When I first came to Christ, I felt like there was this spiritual bubble around me. That the enemy, he couldn't really attack me. It was just all roses and brownies and Jesus, right? It was just a bubble bath in Jesus. I love, I was loving life. There were no spiritual turmoil. Because why? Because God's allowing my soul to grow. He's allowing me to get some roots before the heat comes out and scorches them, right? He's allowing those seeds to really take some form in my life and in my heart. And so for many of us, if you're a new believer, man, expect that. That's our God. That's what he does. He doesn't always take us the shorter route. He takes us the safer route. And I even see it after maybe we've experienced times of uh, victory or defeat, of, of trauma or rejoicing moments that we'll see how God will sometimes wrap his wings around us so that we can experience healing. And it's a process. It's a process. And the Lord will place us in this hedge, the shadow of his wings, so that we can be sustained and healed. Now, I don't believe that it produces the same growth as testing and challenges, but I believe it brings a moment of joy and satisfaction that is exactly what we need in that season. We need his rest. I want you to listen with me as we look at 1 Corinthians 10 now. Now we're going to the the New Testament to kind of understand the examples here that Moses is recording. You see, Paul writes to us this. He says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, here's what I want us to see. Verse 6. Now, these things occurred as what? As examples. These are as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do I have any idolaters in the house? Just, no, I'm just kidding. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. I won't ask any hands on that one. As some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples. Again, as what? Examples. And were written down as warnings, examples and warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Appreciate you allowing me to read a, a lengthy passage there, thirteen verses. There is so much that can be unpacked from this. I just want to highlight though a couple of main points. But as I do, I want you all to get you a drink. Cheers, all right. I, I got to get something on my on my lips. This is good iced coffee, Candy. This is great. So we've been uh, so we've been working on. i I'm sidetrack here. I wish. I wish. Uh, What's her name? Uh, Julia, was in here? Uh, Crystal. Crystal, she texts me because she's a minimalist. Yeah, this is a rabbit trail, George. So she has like one plate for every person in her house. That's it, right? Uh, Like five changes of clothes, uh, one for five days, and then we got to do laundry. And so she's texting me about all these coffee contraptions. She's like, I'm reading these articles. Do you have a percolator? Yeah, of course. What about a crow brew? Oh, I hope I get one for my birthday. It's on my list. What about this? And so all these things, she's like, you have all of that. What? Because we're coffee like aholics. I'll admit that's our one addiction that we allow in the house. And so this new cold brew system, it's been brewing for about 24, going on 36 hours at this point. We're supposed to pull those grinds out a long time ago. It is so good. It's a concentrate. So if I start preaching faster now, I just want you to know why, okay? Just just want you to know. No coughing fit, okay? It wasn't across the line. So he, there's so much in this passage That we can understand as the examples and the warnings from the Old Testament. And the things that happen in Scripture, we, we should heed them. And Paul wraps up this passage as we look at the Scripture, we should see it as examples, as warnings. But he says, watch out. Pride comes before the fall. Think about what Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 5 that he gives grace to the who? The humble. But his arm, he abhors the who? the proud. It's not that he doesn't want to be involved in your life. It's that you have put up such a wall around yourself by thinking you can do it on your own that Jesus can't even get in. He's giving grace to the humble. He wants to give grace to the proud, but I find more often than not when I can't trust him and I want to do things on my own that I'm not even giving him the atmosphere and the opportunity to be able to bring that grace into my life because it's a form of pride. And we see here that if I don't heed these examples and these warnings, that I can't walk in his grace. And I won't understand the temptations that are around me. I won't understand the trials. I won't understand that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And I think this is one of the things that that we fail to recognize, at least I know I do, is that I fail to recognize the commonality of what I face. Immediately, I let the the lies slip in that no one's going to understand, that I probably just need to keep it to myself, that they're not going to identify with what I'm going through. Even if it's not the details of your story, they're going to be able to relate in the commonality of what we all face as humanity. Last night, my wife and I got to go on a date with some of the folks that I'm in a men's group with, with just foster and adoptive dads. Uh, in case you guys didn't know, the one child that we never watched named Levi, and just runs around like a free-range kid, the, you know, the parents that I normally judge, that's us now. And so there he is just running around. He, he was adopted last year, um, just the journey, the process that God took us on, which was just an amazing, heart-changing journey. But I realized with these, with these dads that I'm in this group with, is that even though I can't always identify with the, the adoption from China or Uganda or their fostering process and the interaction with that birth family, there's a commonality to what we're all walking in this life. And we can speak some words without much criticism. I can say some lingo that they're just going to understand what a CFTM is and a, you know, your FSW and all these things. Because once you get into foster care, there's like a whole other language that they speak over there. And you're like, it's all acronyms and none of it makes sense. And, and the system's broken on top of that. And so it's a frustrating acronym conversation. And so you speak in this code, but they all get it. They understand it. They've been in that journey. And as humanity, we face trials that are very, very similar to one another. We face loss and pain and we grieve and we have our ups and then we have our downs together. And this is something that the Lord wants us to understand. Recognize the commonality. Don't allow the enemy and the lies that he would want to seep into our thought process is that we don't need one another. They won't understand Remember I said earlier, one of the first times that God ever display, displayed that something was not good in scripture was that man should not be what? Alone. Alone. And if it's true what the psychologists are currently uh, unfolding from research, that you, if, if you're facing addiction, which is normally to numb pain, right? And we all face Pain and we're trying to numb it and we end up maybe in some addictions of some sort, whether it's shopping or drinking or whatever abuse we may have, we realize that the opposite of that addiction really isn't sobriety, it's connection. So think back, we're going to encounter a real God. We're going to be connected to one another and we will grow This is my heart because it's based out of what God's design is already for us. I don't care if the psychologists are getting a little bit of it right and maybe still not quite realizing that it's pointing to God and His design for us. Because they were three in one, not just one person, but three in fellowship with each other. There was community in the identity of God Himself. He was not alone. I think that was the darkest moment for our father is that when he felt the disconnect from the one he had always been connected to. That was when the curtain ripped. That was when the ground shook. That was when the skies went dark. You are not meant to be alone. Do not allow the enemy to plant those thoughts, those seeds in your soul and in your mind. We are meant to walk this together. And so we recognize not only our need for God, but our need for one another. And we relate to one another, not only in triumph, but also in struggle. And something that I've been listening to uh, on a podcast uh, was really, really interesting. He's talking about having walked through AA and, uh, and just what that really did for him to help with his addiction. And he's talked about how the, the community that was there, but he said and I found myself, I was like, I can really relate to that, just as humanity, even if he doesn't know Jesus. He said, I, I, I think about the amazing moments in my life. How many of you guys, you like roller coasters? Anybody in the house like roller coasters? How many of you at the top of something, okay, what, okay, what do you like that's amazing? Is that uh, something to eat, going shopping? What is it, someone giving you some money, a gift? Okay, coffee, I, I knew that one. Let's take another drink just on that note, right? And so whatever it is that speaks your language, that is amazing, you never fear that, oh God, I bet my life's going to be like this forever. It's going to be amazing. What will I do? No, we never fear that the mountaintop experiences will never end because we know they're going to end, right? But we think that about our pain. We think that our pain is going to be forever. We think that I'll never get past this. What we have to realize is that everything in life is temporary the highs and the lows. We just walk through it with the Lord, always by our side. He is with us on the greatest of days and in the lowest of moments. Please don't forget that this life is but a vapor, that everything that we face, it has a season and it is temporary too. So Moses, let's go back to Exodus 13. I have covered this microphone (laughs) with iced coffee. And so we look at, I'm actually going to go to verse 19. So when Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, how many of you guys, when you came to UT, you brought somebody's bones with, no, anyways. That's a weird, that's a weird question. So Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, the body farm, because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. I don't even know where to go. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. I do want to land here. I'm so glad we got past that. After leaving Sakoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of what? Fire to give them light so that they could travel by by day or by night, (laughs) by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Let's look at that word, sakoth. You know, if you know me for a few minutes, you know I love words. Sakoth is a really neat word. It's actually a holiday. It's one of the uh, most famous holidays that the Jewish people will celebrate in the fall. And uh, typically, it ranges in dates because their calendar is different than ours, uh, somewhere towards the end of September, beginning of October, mid-October, Sakath. So Sakath is literally, it wasn't just a place that they passed through, but is the name of that holiday as they build Sakaths, S-U-K-K-A-H. Whoever is texting me in the congregation, do you? can you stop? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. My, I think my sister is actually having surgery right now. So they would build these Sakaths can you throw up a picture of the Sakah? I think I have one. It's like slide whatever. Yeah, that's it. This would be representing of a shelter where they would come into it. You see the harvest. It's typically a, a, um, a holiday during the harvest season. And they would build these, these temporary tents or shelters, commemorating, remembering, looking back to remember how God provided for them the shelter that they needed when they wandered through the wilderness. And it was really, really interesting because I think about so many times when I'm walking through some really dry and dark times, I don't remember how God sheltered me through those moments. And God says, oh, don't, don't slip into that spiritual amnesia. That too is the fallen nature that we've inherited. But remember Remember, go back to that sakah and remember how I have been your wings that overshadowed you, how I have been your shelter, how I, did you know we're all refugees and we need to take refuge under someone else so much greater than ourselves under God. And recently in a staff and board uh, meeting, we were discussing some of the changes that were coming up that were happening now, and I will not forget this. It's, it landed with me as George spoke up, and he was um, the one on the phone joining our conference call meeting as he was off still at work out of town, but he spoke this word, and it, and it gave such an image to what I sense was in my spirit as well. It really it really stuck with me. And it comes from the passage in Matthew 23, and it was one word. I'm talking about sakah. And it says this in Matthew 23, starting in verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather, to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was Pastor James's last verse. He said, you're not going to see me again until you finally will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A little bitterness, chip on a shoulder. you just kidding. I say that in the reality of that, that we're in a moment here. We're in a season where the Lord is gathering us. And anytime there is transition, and this is certainly happening for Jesus in his ministry, the cross is on the other side of this prayer for this people. There's transition, there's change, there's a leadership that is literally shifting from the man, Jesus Christ, to the people, his disciples. And in that, he realizes the likelihood of scattering is what is natural. He said, my prayer is that you gather, that you gather For me, I put it in this, because my language, right? We use our own words. I put it in strengthen what remains, strengthen what is here, focus on the people that are being fed right now that are in these seats in this time, because that's what it's about. Let us encounter the Lord together. Let us connect to one another and we will grow as a result of all that. But as he shared that word gather, I thought about this because God is the one that will overshadow us in those moments of both strength and weakness. And when we need it most, He is there for us. And I love just how the verses in Exodus, I'm going to jump back, how Exodus verses 21 and 22, chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, talk about the cloud. Can you jump to 21? There it is. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in the pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire. This, this represented a few things. It marked both the Lord present, but also guiding. He was present, but also guiding. You see, for me, the, the cloud by day, I want you to remember they're in the desert. Has anybody ever traveled to a desert region? You just got back from Egypt. Tell me if it was the same. Uh, who else has been in the, de- in some desert regions? Yeah. Okay. So our, our military personnel. I got it. And so, what I realized when I went camping in the desert, I just went to the Grand Canyon and camped, you know, there with some folks when I lived in LA. And what we realized is that, boy, I wish I had had a cloud by day because it got hot. The closer you are to the it gets hot. And in the desert, especially, I can't even completely relate to what Moses is writing here. And so that cloud by day was a couple that it was protection. It was protection from the heat of day. Here they are being exposed to elements they're not traditionally exposed to. That bubble, that spiritual, how God will protect us. He's guiding us, but he's also protecting us. But then at night, it was a fire. If you've been in the desert, you know it also reverses and gets really cold at night. I snuggled with people I've never snuggled with on that trip. One was named Marcus from Sweden. Anyways, It gets cold. And I didn't have a sub-zero pack, all right? <laughs> and so the Lord, with his protection, he provides for a, coughing, no. He provides for us both in the day and in the night. And I think about how he's not only the guidance, but the guiding light for safe travels, regardless of the best times, because typically we think about traveling in the day. But for them, it gave them advantages over their enemies. And I want you to think about that. The Lord will, will allow you maybe not to go that shorter path, but will take you where you need to go, when you need to go, at the exact moment. I want you to believe with me that everything in our life is Father-filtered, that our heavenly father filters everything both in time and in a way that we experience where he's leading us. And you think about the light that also provided for them and was leading them. And I don't know, in the desert, for me, there wasn't a whole lot right there. And even a little campfire, it lit up the darkness in tremendous ways. There were so many stars that you could never see any other time because there's no other conflict of other lights. The cloud by day, and the fire by night. And in Nehemiah chapter nine, the, the Jewish leaders are, are celebrating all of God's faithfulness in history. And they reference this in verse 12 of chapter nine as a moment where God displayed both his care and his provision for his people. And to me, the pillar is a picture of God's faithfulness. And it's a lesson to us that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. I don't know what circumstances, what wilderness, what desert you're in right now, but I want you to hear this, that God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned you. He will be your cloud by day, your fire by night. He will be both your protection and your guiding light. He is with us. He is with us, and he is faithful. He is faithful. And one of the most notable things that I think that we get from this cloud by day and this fire by night, this fifth thing, is that the distinction he places between his people and the rest of the world. Think about that. God's provision always distinguishes his people from the rest of the world. You've probably heard me put this in a a few different ways, but the promises of God, they're for the people of God. They are not for the world. Do you get that? My inheritance is for my kids, not from the random strangers I've never met or don't know. But his family is open. The door is here. That today is the day of salvation. You can be adopted as a son or a daughter. His way of salvation is, is, is for you. It is for me. But those promises, when you're talking to a coworker who's going through a struggling moment. They need Christ first before you can start quoting them his promises. Do you get that? We start reciting promises that are true for me and for you, but they're not yet true for that unbeliever. And that's hard for us sometimes to distinguish. I want you to remember that God distinguishes what he provides for his people in covenant through those promises. Greater, greater is the promise than the sin. Greater is obedience than disobedience. Greater is the blessing than the curse. Think about that. For a thousand years, he will see his promises through. They will carry on and on and on. And when you hear about sin, it's to the second and to the third generation. Way greater is the promise than we see the side effects of our own sinful nature. God is a redeemer and so much more powerful than our sin and failures. And moving on, as we look at how looking back helps us move forward. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back. Here it is. This is where he says it. The Israelites were to turn back and encamp near someplace. I don't know how to say. Pi, Heri, Heri, yeah, whatever. Between Magdal and the sea. I was listening to uh, Stephen Furtick this week and he's like, I'm just gonna say these words however I want to because you don't know how to say them either. So that's what I'm gonna start doing. He said, they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephron. And I added an R in that one. That was nice, like Zach uh, Ephron, but Zephron. I kind of put them together. And so verse three, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wondering, check this out, check this out. Sometimes when we turn back, when the Lord allows, tells us to look back, people that don't get it are going to think that we've lost our way. Pharaoh said, uh, Moses tells, tells uh, the Lord tells Moses that Pharaoh's going to think, oh, they're just wandering around. They're in confusion. Now's our chance to pounce. Now's our chance. And he said, I'm going to harden his heart and they're going to pursue you. All a part of the plan. Sometimes when it looks like we're looking back, it's all a part of the plan to see God do one more miracle in our life to see, okay, the enemy's a sucker. Well, who sinned? They said to Jesus. Was it this boy or his parents? None of them, but that the glory of God could be displayed. And here it is again in an Old Testament version, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. They begin turning back going to a place they're like I thought that was that way was the promised land you know there's this little signs and it's got promised land this way back to slavery this way and they're like Moses why are we going this way I don't understand they still didn't get it it wasn't the shortest distance but it was all a part of the plan sometimes he will have us look back so that we can move forward and the Lord literally told them to look back. And they were It looked like they were wondering. Not like what we sang this morning with, you know, Fill My Heart With Wonder. Not that kind of, you know, that's a different O and A. But literally it was for an opportunity for God's glory to be displayed. You may not know what's next for you. You may not know, all right, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. I'm just doing the, the next right thing. I don't know as a student, as a parent, as whatever season of life you're in, you may not know 10 10 years down the road, but God is saying, hey, it's gonna be an opportunity for me to display my glory in your life. Just be obedient. Just go where I tell you to, even if it includes looking back in order so that you can move forward. Exodus two is I'm wrapping up. This is gonna be the first of three wrap ups, just so you're ready. (laughs) I take that cue from someone else. And and by the way, for cues, and I know you're here and I'm not making fun, but I don't have a lot of alliterations. Um, I apologize for that. Um, I looked through some of his slides. They just weren't mine. I couldn't do it. Uh, Again, it's got to be my land. I will work on my acronyms. That will be my promise to you. No promises or guarantees. No coughing fit either. Okay just laughs. All right, Exodus 2, verse 23 and 25, as we speed race through the end. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. This is what I was talking about before. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. In their cry for help because of their slavery, it went up to God, and God heard their groaning. And wait a minute, he did something. He remembered his promises, his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. So God not only remembered, but his remembering led to, so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So when God remembered, first of all, he heard the groanings. The groaning stage sometimes for us will lead to God remembering, and then it'll lead to God's concern. But out of God's concern came a call. It came to a call to a man named Moses who would lead them out of their slavery, the answer to their groaning. And I want to tell you, you may be in the groaning stage right now of life. You may feel like, oh, my good teenagers. I got a few amens on this side. You may be in a groaning stage of something you're walking through, you're going through. But let me tell you, God's going to remember his promises to you and to me. And he will act in concern and compassion And it may be a call. It may be someone that he raises up in your life as an answer just to say a word of encouragement to you. It may be a call in your own life that you begin to no longer look at your groanable moments, but see the God moments in front of you. Because if there was one thing I learned when I was at the Dream Center, it was if if you're hurting, serve someone else. Instead of navel-gazing because we, come, we become so self-absorbed in our hurt, in our pain, in our groaning, that we can no longer help someone else. And that really is going to be the process that perpetuates us to move forward. Jim Baker was out there when I got there. He had fallen uh, into sin uh, as a lead pastor, just a notable figure, uh, but some scandalous things had happened with finances. And when I got there, he was in the groaning stages. He was groaning, he was moaning. He did not want to, to do anything with his life sliding food under the door. That was it, right? That was where he was at. Do you know where he found his rehabilitation? On the streets, at a food truck, working with homeless, serving prostitutes and seeing them come to Jesus. He found his purpose again in his healing, not by whining and groaning and focusing on himself, but by finding the destiny and promises and dreams in someone else. And I think sometimes we get that backwards. We think if I can focus enough, I can finally fix. But really, it's fixing our eyes, loving God and loving others, and God works it all out. The healing process begins. It is. So do you see our country, our children, our church, maybe yourselves, in slavery? I think about the ideologies and that our country has bought into. I think about the addiction that is running rampant in our nation right now. I think about the cultural waves that are just polarizing. And I think, but has it led us yet to groaning? Are we desperate enough that, oh God, you've got to deliver us. You have to do something. Remember your promises to us as your people, not, not as the United States of America, but as believers living here. God, remember your promises to us that if we will turn, if we will cry out, if we will repent, you will heal our land. Has it led to that? Exodus 6, as we come to our second closing, I promised I'm going to deliver. Exodus 6, verse 2, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. There's the forward. That's where we're going, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. There will be freedom for you. I will free you from being slaves, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out from underneath the yoke of the Egyptians. And guess what the promise is? I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifting hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So this whole passage here, God is talking about where he remembered his promises. They are going to be delivered. But yet, will you remember where I have brought you from? I'm going to make you my people. I want to be your God. I want to walk with you and commune with you but I'm taking you somewhere. There is a land ahead of you. There are dreams inside of you. There is destiny in the person you're sitting next to, that God's got greatness inside them. But the Lord said, I have heard the cries of the people. I have remembered my promises, Meshach. And he says, here is what I'm going to do. Verse six, I'm going to deliver you. I am going to bring freedom. I'm going to break that yoke. I will redeem you. I will do this with even mighty acts of judgment against your enemies. And here's the why in verse 7. Why is he going to do that? Because I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. This we hear echoed by the prophets time and time again. As Jeremiah paints the new covenant, this was the original design that God had for us from the beginning, that he would be our God and that we would be his people. I think back to the beginning in the cool of the day, I, I love that, that just analogy that God paints for us where he comes down and, and communes with Adam and with Eve. But that's what he wants to do with every single one of us. Don't outsource that, friends. Don't outsource that. That's his original design for you and for me to come down in the cool of our day if we will allow that space, that moment for him to fellowship and to commune with us. That podcast may have to be turned off. Netflix may need to be paused. You know what? The kids, they'll get fed eventually, but you need to, You need. where's Levi? (laughs) But God wants to commune with you. He wants to be your God and he wants you to be his people. And he says, I'm gonna take you as my own then, 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 then you're going to know that I am the Lord your God who did all this for you. Who has brought you this freedom that you never thought you could have. That you can breathe deep again. That the burdens have been lifted. He wants to be in relationship with us. He has been bent on that since the beginning. Our God is a gentleman. He will not force himself on you. But he is beckoning you. Will you come Will you be my people? Will you allow me to be your God? And then in verse seven, the second part of that, you will know, you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of this slavery. And then we're headed somewhere. As you look back and you recognize what he's done, wow, can you believe he did that for me? I never thought I would see my marriage restored. I thought it was over. I never thought that prodigal child would ever come back. But I held on to his promises because I'm his. I'm his. I never thought those addictions could be broken. But he brings freedom. I never thought. I never thought. But look what he did. Because I'm his. Look. Look at the wake of his miracles of freedom. Look behind you. Because it's leading you to that promised land of place of destiny and dreams being fulfilled that he has in every single one of us. We look back sometimes in order to move forward. That's what I believe. And at this time, I'm going to ask, uh, Bruce, are you able to play for a few minutes? I appreciate you not coming up during my first or second close, paying you double what you normally get. Thank you for volunteering. Man, that iced coffee is good. All right, so I want to share a quick story as we talk about hope. So I'm talking about this men's group that we're a part of, and we've got a new adoptive dad that's just stepped into it because I'll, I'll admit his his marriage is hemorrhaging. I mean, it's on the brinks of of just bad, bad situations. They adopted in New Mexico roughly five or six years ago, and they didn't know what they were getting into. Uh, he, he was young. He was about 15 months to 18 months when he came into their home, so it's not like they got him late in life and, and a lot of things already set in stone for him but they didn't realize some of the trauma that was going on inside of his brain and especially some some verbiage that they're just now learning and counseling about attachment, about how important that is early on and attachment theory and, and just all that stuff that they're now realizing, oh, but those years that elapsed, those five, six, now they're in their seventh year, I believe, it's to the point where the wife is like, why do we do this? I regret it. She feels shamed by the way that she has felt towards this adopted son. And she has just, I mean, they're unraveling. She can't see the light even at the end. The husband's pressing into Jesus for both of them, which, thank the Lord, he's got that in his radar right now. And, and he's locking in, but he's like, boy, it's a tough road ahead. I'm not even sure. I'm not sure how this is going to unravel for me and my wife. And he started coming to the group, and some of the ladies from the other groups that exist in our city have reached out to her with no response yet. we're believing. We're believing that there is nothing too far gone. We're believing that, no, God didn't mess up when you stepped into that redemptive process for that young man. He didn't mess up. We don't always understand the process. It may not always be the shortest direct line, but his redemption is so much greater than even our understanding or misunderstanding of how he's getting us there. And he will allow these tests to turn into testimonies. And so I'm seeing him now is he starting to see the light and he's holding on to hope and there's some walls and some hardness and some things that are just really personal that they're having to go back and deal with that didn't have anything to do with this little guy that they adopted. Why they couldn't attach, why it didn't happen and the food issue. I mean, just a, a gamut of things. But they're seeing hope. They're seeing hope. And I want you this morning, I don't know what it is that you had a hard time believing the Lord that he can truly bring hope to But I want you to know that his arm is not too short to save. That his hope is not too far off in the distant future that you're not going to get to it. I want to encourage someone who walked into this room thinking, man, I've got to hang up and quit. This is it. Keep putting the next foot in front of the other. Keep doing the right next thing. God is with you. He has not abandoned you. He will be your cloud by day. He will be your fire by night. You may not always understand why we're still circling around, but God... Hang on to his promises. Remind him of who he is. Really reminding ourselves that he is faithful. That he is good. Amen. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? I want to pray with someone who I know is in this place. Who is struggling because when they look back, they... The perspective, the lens that you have is not to see his faithfulness, but to see your failures. God wants to reverse that lens on your eyes today. He wants to give you his perspective so that you can see his promises. You may have come in here and all you see in the wake is the addictions and things to be condemned about and to be shameful of. And you're not really sure where you're going. You feel like you're wondering and you're not, you don't understand how you're going to get where he's called you to go. And you really don't even know where he's called you to go. You just feel lost. I want to pray with you this morning. If you have felt the Lord tug on your heart during this service, would you just slip up your hand so that I can agree with you in prayer? We're going to see some chains broken. We're going to see hope dawn in this place in your heart, in your mind. Amen, amen, amen. Anyone else? You would say, God, I want your promises renewed in my heart again. Amen. 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 Father, I just pray over your people in this place. I ask God that we would not grow weary in our remembering your covenant promises with us, that you are a God that is loving and faithful, that you have not abandoned us, that you have not given up, that the work you started, God, you're going to be faithful to finish it. That's who you are. That is who you are. I speak over all the sons and daughters in this house, that you are chosen, that you are loved, that you are pursued that he is bent on you being his people and he being your God. Father, as we walk out of this place today, I pray that we would continue to commune with you, that we would take these encounters and walk with them throughout our day, that the cloud would overshadow us and that the night night would be lit up by your guiding light. We thank you, Lord, that as we encounter you. We connect to one another. We don't walk in isolation. We don't allow the enemy to tell us that we need to be alone, that no one understands. God, we lean on you. We thank you for the shelter that you give us through our brothers and sisters and our God most high. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you were encouraged this morning? Amen. I know as the Lord was speaking to me over the past few weeks, I just felt like, man, God's got something for us as we look back to move forward. And let me tell you, I'm not even to the part of this series where it all began and culminated in my heart. This was all the the prelude. So I want you to come back the next two weeks. We're going to continue this through Easter. And I want to, we're going to look back on the day that we remember Jesus and that he is alive, looking back and seeing what he has fulfilled for us who he is. And so I just want to encourage you to invite some friends, invite some folks that they have yet to encounter him. They have yet to be able to claim his promises. They need to be in this house experiencing this with us. Amen. Amen.